1: Welcome back. How does John Belushi say it? Uh, Who here can say they felt any better than um, when they had Hugh and Lewis Hallman with them? We've got the band back together. We have got the band back together. Hugh Hallman, welcome back. And we're on a mission from God. Yes, on a mission from God. Lewis Hallman, welcome back. As we do every Tuesday in our third hour, we try to have both Hallmans together. Hugh has been gone for a few weeks. We'll learn all about that when we come back. But you're listening to The Seth Leibson Show. Our phone number is 602 508 We start with COVID, and then we work centrifugally from there.
2: We're going to have that fight again.
1: Yeah. I, no, nothing ever dies. Centripetably
2: or centrifugal. Outwardly.
1: Outwardly. outwardly. Yeah. He, uh, Hugh Holman, talk to us. Uh, where do you want to start? You want to talk about COVID? You we want have to, to do okay.
2: just a moment of All COVID. Right. Yeah. Because for the listeners, I was, for most- moser
1: makes a lot of products, but if they don't make a car, we're done.
2: Yeah, well, okay. they, they do make some great jet engines. Yeah. So, and, you know, the occasional lawnmower that'll throw a rock through Stop a window, it. who knows? Stop it. Um, but I was, for the last two <laughs> I'm weeks- leave. I'm going to leave. Prior to Prior to Monday, uh, a week ago Monday, I was for two weeks, 25 miles south of the Russian border. I was there before the tanks rolled in and I was there for a lot of the period while they were still rolling. And I am um, going back uh, to continue the work there. And now I think folks maybe understand what that work has always been about. And it is – I worked for President Reagan and he worked very hard to cause the Soviet Union – he wasn't trying to get them to collapse. He was trying to get them to open and, and provide liberty to millions of people. Ultimately, the collapse allowed that possibility with 22 nations uh, forming up after that uh, fall. And one of them, Kazakhstan, ended up through uh, U.S. State Department work uh, paired with the state of Arizona. And I happen to have been on the ground before that occurred in uh, January, of uh, January of 1993 before Lewis was born. He was in utero. My wife was pregnant with twins and I abandoned her to go to Ukraine and Russia. There wasn't much more to do at that point with regard to their
1: impending birth,
2: (laughs) You had done your job. Exactly. And anyway, uh, (laughs) I'm now turning red as Seth uh, can... We
1: all know how it works.
2: Yes, I get that. But there's other reasons for that redness. Um, Long story short is... Uh, I was in Ukraine and Russia to uh, create exchange student programs to bring the youth of the two areas and the U.S. together to try to help infuse some notions of liberty and freedom and educate students about Western ethics and economics and finance and how things really work since that was the main area in which their education had failed them so miserably. Political philosophy on top of it and that work uh, ended up – with the seeds flowering most brilliantly in Kazakhstan. And ultimately, the programs in Ukraine fell apart because Ukraine couldn't get its act together. Uh, the programs in Russia ultimately were terminated because folks there didn't really want that kind of activity taking place. But Kazakhstan, the, the, the ground was fertile and the seeds sprung up. And that country, after 30 years, is still trying to make its way uh, into a new breath of freedom And uh, it is uh, in that context in which we have to report on COVID because we for two years, more than two years now, it really started uh, in uh, March of 2020 was when we first started these conversations and Lewis joined us shortly thereafter. made a lot of fun of the fact that we were taking ridiculous kinds of positions and spent ultimately more than six trillion dollars of the U.S. Treasury, more than as Lewis calculated finally than the U.S. government had spent in the entire effort in World War Two, everything uh, to uh, fend off a virus. That has made its way, even the CDC is now reporting, okay, it's 42, 43% of the total population have actually gotten the virus. Now, that doesn't include asymptomatic cases. But here's the reason we're going to continue to make a little bit of fun very quickly. The state and feds are now no longer reporting data on a daily basis. They've had to aggregate it into weeks because the pile doesn't look very important if you take it on a daily basis. So you've got to throw it into a week pile so you can make the graphic look better. And as an example... We're now down to nine percent COVID patients. That includes people who came in for knee surgeries and tested positive for COVID and don't have symptoms. Nine percent patients in the IP beds, in inpatient beds, uh, are uh, have COVID with 84% non-COVID, and yet there's still only 7% of the beds in our hospitals are
1: vacant. I read that in the Arizona Republic this weekend. I read that very scary thing.
2: Yes, exactly right. It's exactly the same number for almost a year, but it was only frightening and scary Mm -hmm. when the patients in the inpatient beds had COVID, and we only talked about hospital staff being exhausted Mm -hmm. because there are so many people in the hospital when they have COVID. The same number of patients are in hospitals today as there were six months ago at the height of the pandemic in the third spike. And we don't hear about exhausted uh, employees in the hospitals. That's the kind of ridiculous stuff. Why can we now make fun of that? That the 6% vacancy rate in our ICU beds uh, at the worst part. Uh, meant we only had 85 empty beds in our ICUs. Guess how many empty beds there are today? 97. That's right. A, di- a difference of 85 beds mm-hmm. is what was the crisis mm-hmm. in our healthcare system, mm-hmm. and now we're in a system where, or in a world in which we understand that two years of moronic foreign policy can destroy the security of the entire Western world. And now we have something real to talk
3: about. Uh, two other notes on that, if I may, uh, just with the COVID piece. The movement from a daily reporting granularity to a weekly reporting, you know, really does underscore how important the uh, administrators in charge believe the pandemic, you know, are and the amount that they want to remind you of their involvement in the pandemic in the past. So the, the fewer news stories coming out of that, particularly in advance of the midterms, the, the fewer opportunities uh, uh, to toggle your memory on these things. The other piece I would note about the transition to a weekly uh, data update is that it makes it impossible for me to be doing the kind of analysis I've been doing for the last several months at at a very granular level that shows that the CDC is not in fact copying the state's records accurately or well, and that they are in fact overstating death rates of recent periods over prior periods. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Papering over that, that this this line of inquiry is now impossible to pursue we can 't get the data to show now how they 're screwing it up mm-hmm.
1: and there is something to be said about uh, i, I don 't love the phrase, but everyone will know it dead enders on this thing. people who are not willing to let up you know there 's an interesting vote today. this will be breaking news for most, maybe you guys too. Uh, Senator Rand Paul uh, from Kentucky uh, uh, sponsored a resolution in the United States Senate to repeal the federal travel mask mandates. You know, we had up uh, we had uh, liberalized the mask mandates everywhere from the federal perspective, except in all transportation, including, you know, buses and, and, and airplanes. And it was maddeningly insane that we we wouldn't let up on that. So he pushed a bill through on the Senate. Guess what? It passed today with 57 votes, 57 to 40. So it now goes to the House. That means it got eight Democrats. You wouldn't know this, but it lost – there was a Republican who didn't vote for it (laughs) who's violating, I think, daily the rule of holes, which is when you're in one-stop digging. The one Republican who voted against it—the only one—was Mitt Romney. Of course, it was. Of course, it was. Exactly. Of course, it was. Uh, but you know, you see the, you saw uh, three days ago, Barack Obama, uh, former President Obama, claiming he had COVID and how important it was to get the vaccine. Today, the what is the title of Kamala Harris's husband? Second husband? What is? I don't know what you call him. I, uh, who cares? Fair enough. He has COVID now. He has announced again and saying, "But this is how important the vaccine is." One and one is they, coming to four here.
2: Did they? Yeah. Did they not get vaccinated? They did got they vaccinated. Not get
1: boosted. They got vaccinated. They, they got, got boosted. boosted yes. yes. And so
2: it's really, really. Why are important they even telling these? us they
1: got COVID at this point? Why are they even telling
2: us? Uh, well, the more I think Lewis's point is. It's probably not in their interest at this stage to keep reminding people about how badly they've handled this crisis, mm-hmm. which wasn't a crisis, but a, a created crisis to be able to manage people. And now we've got real crises. Well, and, to- and maybe it's to to take the take attention away from inflation, oil pricing, gas pricing, et cetera.
3: Into well, the degree that elites broadcast themselves getting covid. It's a it's a signal that, you know, shows, oh, I'm not sheltering in a mansion in the in the in Beverly Hills or in the Hamptons, I'm just like you. No. I'm getting COVID, too. There's something to You know, that. there's sort of a, a rep, sort of a skin suit facsimile of Th- normalcy. There is something
1: to that. Yes, there absolutely is. You're right. Let me take the break and let's pick up from there. I want to do your thing on Russia and Ukraine and what you've learned. Is that where you want to come back to? As That's where well? we're
2: coming back to the fact that Ukraine has cured the world of COVID.
1: Perfect. As we go to break, let me put in a word for our friends at Balance of Nature. Balanceofnature.com. Whole food, nutrition, pure Potent plant power, just fruits and vegetables, that's all that's in it, uh, made from fresh whole produce. You use an advanced cold vacuum process, vitamins, minerals, phytonutrients of the fruits and vegetables are preserved that way, so you get that vital nutrition in each capsule. I take it every day. It's kept me well for three years, Amount of time I've been taking it, and I commend it to you as well. Balance of Nature, balanceofnature.com, their fruits and veggies. Make sure to use discount code balance i lewis and hugh hallman will be right back a lot of kid rock lately i don't know why just a lot of kid rock showing up he was going to be the governor of michigan at one point i think in any event welcome back to the Seth leaps and show hugh and lewis hallman Our in-studio guests, as they are every Tuesday in the third hour, Hugh Hallman is the former mayor of Tempe, an attorney in town, civic activist, and Lewis Hallman is the managing partner at uh, Insight Analytics, Insight Analytics LLC. Dot com. Did you? I
2: forgot who was in the midst. Of oh, I'm always going to be go talking ahead. until Lewis uh, stomps on. Otter floor. You, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and and I've been gone for, for three weeks. You guys had, and plus Lewis, uh, you guys did a second show uh, one week uh, where you guys did half an hour on whether or not conservatives are individualists. Individualists. Yes. So here's here. Let me give you some quotes that I think are crucially important to keep in mind. Series of states reaffirm their commitment to Ukraine to respect the independence and sovereignty and the existing borders of Ukraine. Same group of states reaffirm their obligation to refrain from the threat or use of force against the territorial integrity or political independence of Ukraine and that none of their weapons will be used against Ukraine except in self-defense or otherwise in accordance with with the Charter of the United Nations. These same states reaffirm their commitment to Ukraine to refrain from economic coercion designed to subordinate to their own interests the exercise by Ukraine of the rights inherent in its sovereignty and thus to secure advantage of any kind. It goes on. Reaffirm their commitment to seek immediate United Nations Security Council action to provide assistance to Ukraine as a non-nuclear weapons state party to the Treaty on Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons if Ukraine should become a victim of an act of aggression or an object of the threat of aggression in which nuclear weapons are or may be used. This, of course, was signed by Ukraine the United Kingdom of Great Britain, that little place called Northern Ireland, the United States of America, and the Russian Federation on December 5th, 1994. It's what's called the Budapest Memorandum. And that was reaffirmed after Barack Obama became the Prince of Darkness uh, as he was managing our foreign affairs into into silliness with a reset button. And I quote, the fulfillment of these states, and it's talking about Ukraine and other similar republics, these states and their obligations on the protocol of, to the START treaty of May 23, 1992, and their accession to the Non Proliferation treaty as non-nuclear weapon states, strengthened their security, which was reflected inter alia in the Budapest Memorandum of December 5, 1994. In this connection, the United States of America and the Russian Federation confirm that the assurances record, assurances recorded in the Budapest Memorandum will remain in effect after December fourth, two thousand nine. Then we had the reset button game that went on, and uh, Barack and Hillary uh, let Vlad know that uh, you know he, they, they were they were good jokers and and could. Bring a, a reset button, which Hillary uh, – we've never talked about the fact that Hillary actually uh, had the wrong word uh, right. translated That's onto right. the button from Russian, That's and it right. was overcharged, right, 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 not uh, not uh, uh, reset. But it's so a Freudian slip if ever I heard one. Yeah, <laughs> even if F- Freud didn't wear slips. But the point is <laughs> that here we have uh, a president of the United States, Barack Obama, who decides that there are other important uh, – principles and values to be enforced and uh, resets the relationship with um, Vladimir Putin. Recall that these are the same people making fun of Donald Trump for forging a relationship with Vladimir Putin or trying to. Uh, And uh, very quickly thereafter, on February 27th, 2014, uh, Russia rolls tanks into Ukraine. Why? Because the Ukrainian people overthrew a Russian puppet. And a duly elected alternative uh, governance, uh, and Russia was working diligently to have the Crimea a revolt against Ukraine, and that set the table. Who was the vice president of that dear uh, leader, Barack Obama? None other than Joe Biden. Joe learned from Barack, and boy, did he. Because uh, when things started getting rough uh, this last fall, it was none other than Joe Biden who signaled to our adversary that the U.S. would not use troops or otherwise spend its treasure on protecting Ukraine.
1: And would allow for minor incursions. Yes. Minor incursions.
2: And so remember, we used to have a foreign policy where our presidents did not signal to our adversaries right. what our array of choices might be. Right. We didn't signal our back end and bend over. Right. We signaled instead, try us. Yeah,
1: right. Which is why they didn't try us when Ronald Reagan was president and why they didn't try us when Donald Trump was president. That's correct. There's a reason that the hostages from Iran came home on the 445th day and not the 443rd day.
2: Correct. Correct.
1: Ronald Reagan's inauguration.
2: That's correct. And the, the the folks who want to criticize that still to this day have to remember that it was indeed uh, Ronald Wilson Reagan's team working behind the scenes mm-hmm. immediately after the election right. to uh, move things forward in a way that had not been moved forward uh, during uh, Jimmy Carter's reign of terror. And so we've got the same signaling here. We've got a president that signaled to Vladimir Putin that the door was open. Well, mouthing to the Ukrainians that we were going to do anything and everything we needed to do to protect them, including that we would stand up for the Budapest memorandum, which we did not.
1: There's a related point to this. Will you hand me this uh, document for a moment? Uh, This is the uh, uh, Budapest Memorandum. Budapest Memorandum of It's okay if you don't, but it's 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 obviously a very serious document, as you say, that was signed on to in four languages. In four languages, yeah. I'm holding it now, and it's a serious document that is signed on to by four
2: languages. Are there by the way? Great Britain, Russia,
1: Ukraine, the United States, and Great Britain handful of others but let's call those the important four and it obviously meant nothing
2: it, as of now it meant something until until now 2014 meant, okay and then russia was allowed to say oh no no no, no. the ukraine we were talking about mm-hmm. was the ukraine governed by russian puppets mm-hmm. not ukraine governed by independent thinking people who overthrew the russian overlords
1: Well, the point I'm trying to make is with regard to these pieces of paper that we sign with autocrats and dictators, we have to temper the expectation that sometimes they're not worth the ink that they are intended to be worth, as Joe Biden is presently working with Vladimir Putin, or at least their underlings, to do the same exact thing with Iran. That's all I'm saying. Iran is already a signatory to the NPT. Deterrence almost seems to be over in this world. That's my point. Deterrence seems to be over. And this quest for pieces of paper that can get bragging rights seems to be the new method and mode of foreign policy. And it really isn't worth much more than the paper it's written on. Would you care to respond on the other side of this break? Let's do it. I'm Seth Liebsen There, the Hallman 602 5080 960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I have Hugh and Lewis Hallman here coming to you live from the Guns Etc. Studios, Mr. Lewis,
3: So we were talking before the break about uh, treaties and, you know, treaties that whether or not they are worth the value of the, the paper they're printed on. And my favorite such treaty is, of course, the Treaty of Versailles after the First World War. See, treaties only work if the, uh, when one out of two circumstances is true. Either, as you pointed out over the break, Seth, you have to have a functioning enforcement mechanism sure. or the, the conditions under which the treaty was set have to be durable. Mm-hmm. And the problem with something like Versailles after the First World War is it was signed when the two greatest continental land powers in Europe, Russia and Germany, were flat on their backs in a very temporary way. And it only took a generation for both of them – to gear up for a total war so horrible that it still scars us in many ways to this day, mm-hmm. and so, the, but nevertheless, the, there was a, a whole generation of politicians who thought that just because they would signed the Treaty of Versailles, that they would have peace in our time, mm-hmm. and this the is or to end all wars, indeed, right, absolutely, right. And, right. and and so, you know, I I think that this is rather than a, a new fascination with treaties. This is part of a longer problem where we have politicians right. who are very uh, impetuous with their pens but perhaps not aware to what they can actually deliver with them. I think they need to be coined or termed what they really
2: are, naive. Sure. They don't understand how the world works. They had uh, chauffeurs who protected them from bullies so they didn't understand right. what it meant to have to survive in an environment where you weren't protected. Right. And that is the world. We have treaties because we have agreement. But those treaties, as you say, can only last as long as there's an enforcement mechanism with people who understand how to enforce.
1: And and, and to Lewis's point, uh, you said one out of of two conditions, but also – Two out of two parties have to agree with not just the signature but the intent. And that's what's been missing, obviously. Right. A lot of people see a treaty as an act of war by other means, if I can borrow from Sun Tzu. They truly do.
2: Yes. Uh, Von, Clausewitz. Uh,
1: sorry, Von Clausewitz. Sorry, Von but, Clausewitz. Yeah. But in
2: this instance, in fact, that's uh, that's how Vlad is now viewing right. all right. of this. Right. That the Soviet Union the was down and out. And war by other means. And, yeah. and, and they were in such a weakened spot that uh, the uh, the Soviet Union had collapsed. Weak players were in charge, not somebody like Vlad, who who uh, reminds me of a, of a short Frenchman. Uh, in fact, please do go Google pictures of uh, Vladimir Putin when he became prime minister of uh, Russia under Boris Yeltsin. And you'll see how diminutive a fellow he is. Uh, He doesn't have himself uh, – has pictures of himself in recent times standing near anyone taller than him. And yet he will be pictured on horseback shirtless because he's such a man's man. And the reality is he is a small little man who uh, still has to prove that he's got a big one. And in this instance, it's not unlike the current U.S. president. Let me read some things from someone you would have thought uh, was – uh really I'm just
1: looking at small men and dictators, and uh, yeah, no I, I see it. Uh, Hitler was 5'9", Vlad is 5'7". Yes. Did
2: you know that? Oh, yes, all I right. did know that. Right. Uh, he, is, he is quite a problem uh, child in yeah. this instance. Napoleon
1: wasn't very tall
2: either, was uh,
1: he? 5'6". Yeah, there you go. Decreasing, <laughs>
2: okay, yeah. all right, there we go. Uh, so uh, the, the point is here that let me read some things that our current president wrote and spoke about in the uh, summer of 2020.
1: So in election year 2020.
2: When he was going to lead the foreign policy of the United States to higher grounds, I quote, I will immediately reverse the Trump administration's cruel and senseless policies that separate parents from their children at our border. I will restore a government Uh, A government wide focus on lifting up women and girls around the world. And yet last fall, he pulled out of Afghanistan inartfully blaming Donald Trump for that position. And I'm sure the women and girls of Afghanistan are thrilled with his ability uh, to uphold their rights in the current condition in Afghanistan.
1: It's another element to the Afghanistan part here, too, isn't there? Uh, the uh, about that so-called precipitous withdrawal remember of course
2: that he he blamed donald trump but this is his statement uh in the uh we we're gonna have to wait until after this we
1: will tease it this is really interesting so so the one thing the one thing the biden administration wanted to take credit for following up on the trump administration with was the withdrawal from afghanistan and blamed the problem's of the withdrawal from Afghanistan on Donald J. Trump as it being his and yet, idea. And yeah I talk, will read yeah. from
2: you, read for you the position paper of uh, Joe Biden in the summer of 2020. We'll be right back.
1: Welcome back to The Seth Leibson Show. Hugh and Lewis Hallman are my in-studio guests, as they are every third hour on Tuesday. Uh, Hugh, uh, you owed us a um, another a part of, of Joe Biden's uh, wit and wisdom from a 2020, what was it, a foreign affairs article? This is a
2: foreign affairs article in which he laid out his entire agenda. March and April of 2020 as he's going to run for president he's running for president talking about things like the important thing to restore government wide focus on lifting women and girls up around the world and then what does he do he pulls out of Afghanistan consigning women and girls in Afghanistan to the slavery they were in prior to our efforts there we can argue about whether we should have been there in the first place I still view the fly paper strategy was a good one we had the uh, A couple of thousand U.S. uh, military uh, on the ground there and some contractors keeping the fight there. Uh, But we've now consigned all these women and girls back to real tragedies. But remember, after it was all messed up, Joe said, oh, it's Don's fault. Donald put us in this position. He's the one whose position I had to fulfill because he set the stage. Except here is his quote. 2020. This is 2020. This is a man who is talking about what he wants to do. And he says, it is past time to end the foreign wars, which have cost the United States untold blood and treasure. As I have long argued, we should bring the vast majority of our troops home from the wars in Afghanistan donald trump 's fault I, I thought that was donald trump 's fault, but yeah. except he 'd long argued that so this is the kind of stuff that makes for a tale that you would not have believed. Two and a half years ago that one president would first screw up Afghanistan so badly that we're now hiding from the fact that we're dumping tens of millions of dollars into into Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan to secure their borders from the terrorists now leaking out of Afghanistan to make their way back to Europe and the United States to blow things up. It is happening, but the Biden administration is not admitting that. Then you have him signaling to Vladimir Putin that Ukraine doesn't matter that much to us. And Vlad takes the invitation. We now have the worst military action, the worst war since 1939. This destruction of an entire country is on the order of what Hitler did as he started moving his forces. And the result of that was a world war and massive economic dysfunction which is reoccurring. Lou.
3: (laughs) So we are seeing all kinds of weird economic indicators currently. Inflation already driven by the excesses and overreaches of the COVID pandemic has now hit a new all-time high as the Fed released new data last Thursday. We're now tracking at 7.9% annualized inflation rate domestically here in the U.S. Uh, The next piece I would give you is that bond yield curves are beginning to invert. Well, what does that mean? Now, uh, a typically, if you are looking at the prices of bonds, you would expect a note with a longer time to expiration, like a 10-year bond, to give you a higher interest rate than something like a 5-year bond. Now,
2: You're investing for a longer period of time and has more uncertainty more money over the
3: future. You would need more, more of a return to convince you to do that. Now, what we are seeing, however, is an inversion between the 7- and 10-year rates in the U.S. Treasury markets. Also, We are seeing pretty close to inversions, if not the occasional slight inversion between five-year and 10-year bonds, and we're only 25 basis points or 0.25 percentage points of interests of a spread between the two-year Treasury uh, notes and the 10-year. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we expect or we are demanding a higher rate of return in the short run than in the mid-run. And the only way that that makes any kind of mathematical sense is if the market is pricing in something really, really bad to happen in the future, a recession, for instance. Now, if you look at this high inflation rate, compare it with our GDP, well, we've actually probably been in recession territory for the last couple of quarters anyway just because the rate of inflation is outpacing growth dramatically at this point by about five percentage points. So explain
2: how, how a recession is dictated
3: or a determined. Re- recession is determined when you have a contraction in the economy's size, so negative real GDP growth over two quarters. The the last piece. So in other
2: words, inflation is driving up numbers in a false way, so that it's hiding that we are actually likely in a recession already because the inflation driving the numbers up. He is masking the fact that growth is much smaller than the actual inflation right. that's taking right. place. So you've probably got negative growth.
3: There's ten apple sales in an economy at you know a dollar each in the first year, and then there's nine apple sales in an economy in the second year, but all the apples cost a dollar twenty-five instead of a dollar. You haven't changed this. You know, you've reduced the number of transactions happening, but in an inflation sense, nominally you've got the same amount of total activity. That would be sort of recession-like, so kind of leading, what we're seeing right. now. I like that. That's good. Okay. It's hidden right now. Right. So the. Um, The the last piece I'd like to talk about is not going to affect the U.S. as much, but it already is, and it's in food prices. Now, there are three major types of fertilizers that exist. Nitrate fertilizers are made from uh, uh, fossil fuels. That's right out because of the energy spikes we're seeing. Phosphate fertilizers come predominantly from China, and it has been illegal there to export them since last year. You know why? Because China has less uh, arable land per capita than Saudi Arabia and they can barely feed themselves. And there's other reasons you can use those things sure. for. A COVID pandemic is the, it would be another piece. You, know, you can go on and on. The last major piece type of fertilizer is potash fertilizer. Now, this principally globally is coming from two places, Russia and Belarus. <laughs> so all three types of fertilizer are now very, very hard to get. Around and the they water. are required... Everywhere we have agriculture, particularly in places like Africa or and China, China, by the way, uses four times the amount of, uh, of agricultural inputs, pesticides, herbicides, and the like that the U.S. does for the same amount of land and under cultivation. It's much more intensive there. This is going to cause shortages and famine and issues. The last time we saw a big contraction in the Russian wheat supply were two bad years, 2010 and 2011. Basically, the, the Russians supplied the Middle East, and that, fa- that shortage caused the Arab Spring in 2012. Let me food ha- prices jacked
2: ahead. up. So what we've got now is worldwide economic chaos, and the one place that you're safer than not is in the United States. All right, let me, and that's let me why cash flow is coming here around. and all this good stuff.
1: Yeah, but, let me have you tie a bow around that on the other side of this break, and then everyone can go home to Emily. We'll be right back. Thank you for spending some of your afternoon with us. Uh, Lou Hallman, you want to uh, tie a bow on it?
3: Sure. So uh, just closing up on that that economics piece that we were talking about in the last segment, um, things look pretty scary right now. You know, I, I will have to say it. It does look like we may be in for a recession. Inflation is very high. We're seeing lots of problems. However, we still have our advantage, Canada, Mexico, fish and fish. The U.S. is still the most insulated, secure, and prosperous area on the planet, and 250 years of bipartisan effort have yet to screw that up. Rather, uh, I would instead take another look, as, as I may, as we enter this this quagmire of energy socks and food shortages. Look at the type of leadership we've seen in Europe for the last two decades, with all of the emphasis on on green energy. Over the last 20 years, only 17% of global energy investment has gone into fossil fuels despite fossil fuels currently making up 80% of global energy flows. So it's this kind of leadership, quote unquote, that has people in Portland and Seattle and London and Berlin clamoring to put up solar panels where there is no sun and wind turbines where there is no wind. And it is this kind of analysis, this sort of uh, uh, ideology before factual analysis that is causing the German people at this point to suffer massive energy shortages and be burning lignite, which if you're not familiar with it, is a watery form of coal that is much more polluting than coal. Even the move to liquid natural gas actually still burns as much CO2 as coal did. So all of these transformations we're going to be seeing over the next few years will be more of the same. And my watchword
2: would be this. We really don't need to continue to follow the Germans in the direction being browbeaten by a bunch of Europeans for not following them down these kinds of rat holes where their throats are completely exposed to Vladimir Putin because they're entirely dependent on Russian. Forty percent of all Europe's natural gas comes from Russia. And as a result, uh, it is now time to ask the Biden administration to turn back its clock and let's get uh, the fossil fuels going again in Texas and other places in the country, so that we can begin again to be energy independent and avoid the terrible economic downturn that the Europeans face. That's Until what tomorrow, we need to God do.
1: bless you all, folks. Thank you, Hallmans. Class dismissed.